Today we're going to be speaking about being generous towards others, being generous towards others. And that literally means to be open-handed, to be open-handed there. And I know that you're probably immediately speaking about and thinking about finances. That's not exactly the only place that I'm going. It does have a part of our generosity, but to be open-handed, we ought to have a heart of generosity. Matter of fact, last night I was in, I was in, uh, well, I, I tried not to go in, uh, but uh, Gretchen and the children went to a store in Huntsville and, and when she got in line, they were doing all their little boxes there. I'd filled up the vehicle with gas and I went over and thought about a few things and went in just to check on them because it was taking a little bit longer than I thought it should take. And sure enough, they got in line at the store and all five of the children were in front of her and they had their stuff for their Christmas Operation Child box there. And, and then Gretchen had hers and one lady got in line right when our first child got in line, had to wait for all six of them to get in there. And then Gretchen went to use the card and the lady said, oh, our machine has been miss malfunctioning all day long and it's not taking certain banks cards and so Gretchen I've had by this time I have the children out in the vehicle they already have their stuff in the car man I mean they are bagged and gone and Gretchen standing in there she runs out to get another card I go in later and she said it's not working not working I gave her a card and and bingo it worked you just have to have anointed cards friends <laughs> That's the gist of the story, okay? So the reality is that lady is standing patiently, a single person behind Gretchen with one item, one item. And I was saying, God, how can I be like her? How can I somehow be like her? A little bit more patience, you know? I know none of you guys would ever be uh, just, okay. So, so as, as she came up and the lady said, it's redstone cards and some other kind of card. And the girl comes up and she goes, oh, just the other day I was thinking. I ought to carry some cash with me in case this happens. And she's walking up, and she has a redstone card. She said, man, I hope mine works. In that moment, I just stood there. I just stood there. I said, well, if it doesn't, I've got another card here. I can use that. And she put it in. Bing, it worked. Bing, I was out of the, no. At that moment, she turned to me, and this is what she said. She said, thank you for being so generous. I had not given anything but a big heart, a big heart, amen, and it just verified to me, it just came into the agreement that God is saying, what you're teaching, son, is what I want them to know, I approve of this message, friends, when you've got God's approval on a message, that thing will fly, amen, my point is this, is that God wants us to have generous spirits. It'll never get to the wallet if the heart doesn't have it first. Amen. Amen. He wants us to have a generous spirit. Years ago, when I first started doing outreaches and ministry to New Orleans and taking teams down to New Orleans to do street ministry, I remember we're on the backside of the Jackson Memorial, the, the square down there, and I walked up and I saw a little plaque. Do we have a picture of that? I saw a little plaque on the ground there, and I read it. It said, this plaque commemorates the arrival of the Salvation Army in 1886. Now, the Mississippi River would be sitting right about here to my back as I'm reading this. In Salvation Army, 1886, on the levee near here, Captain Charles Miles, first Salvationist to serve the people of New Orleans, began 100 years of service with heart to God, hand to man. Friends, this kind of describes exactly where we are. We must have a heart to God and a hand to man. Wouldn't that be something if somebody would tag you as a Salvationist? 
that you are destined, that you are armed, that you are equipped, that you are prepared to win people to Jesus Christ, to save souls off the street, whether the streets of New Orleans or whether the streets of Scottsboro, Alabama, or any surrounding avenue, lane, or road that you and I live on or highway we're around, that you and I would be known as salvationists. Well, listen, when you get a heart for God, you will have a hand that reaches man. You will have a hand that reaches man. Father, I'm asking now in Jesus' name that you would anoint my lips, this message, and specifically our ears, Lord and our hearts to be ready to receive the word of God. Lord, we love you. Lord, we desire you. And Lord, we believe in you. And Lord, I ask now that you would speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have a Bible, hold it up with me. Say this with me. This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can be what it says I can be. I'm going to be. I said I'm going to be who it says I can be. It was written for me. For my correction, direction, and soon coming resurrection. Oh, Lord, be it unto me according to your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I have a pretext before I get into my text for the sermon. And the pretext can be found in Luke chapter 6, verse 37 through 38. And it says this, do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now that is not necessarily merely only a financial scripture. If you give forgiveness, that's the measure of forgiveness you'll receive. If you are merciful, that's the measure of mercy you can expect in your life. If you are friendly, that's the level of friendship you can expect in your life. As you sow, it will fall into you. He didn't say it'll fall into your wallet. He didn't say it'll fall into your bank account. He said it'll fall into your lap. It'll fall into your lap. It will be conceived by you. It'll be received by you. God says, watch me now in this. Watch me now in this. And you know, we need to understand that God's kingdom has principles. And those principles work for us, not against us. Unless we work against those principles, they cannot work for us. Never do they seemingly work against us. We have the opportunity to determine whether they're going to work for us. Forgiveness means a release of debt. I honestly believe that what is primarily being said here in Jesus' teaching is that forgiving if you could give before it even happens, you're going to be better off. It's kind of like investing. It's kind of like depositing. If you invest and deposit, it's already there before you're going to need it when that time comes around. He says you give. Giving is forgiven is releasing of debt, is freed, is a pardon of sin, from bondage or slavery. A pardon from sin. Let's think about the generosity of God now. When Jesus forgave us, he did not just forgive us for the sins past. He forgives for the sins present, and he's already applied and appropriated for sins in the future. It's already paid for. He paid a debt he did not owe. You owed a debt, and so did I, that I could not pay. I'm telling you, he's generous, amen? He is generous, and we need to be forgivers also. I don't have it set in order this morning, but I think this is enough to remind you. I would highly encourage you. 
I would highly encourage you in this season, this important time, and this appropriate time for you to find anybody that you have not released yet, that you have not forgiven yet, and forgive them. Speak forgiveness over their life. You say, well, how would I go about that? Maybe go up and tell them at Thanksgiving, like my little granddaughter did to me this morning when I walked into my office. She said, gee, Daddy, and she just got so excited, and she started to kind of tremble from excitement, and she opened up a bag, and she gave me a lollipop turkey, one that she had dressed and put the feathers on. I'm sure her mother helped her, and she handed it to me, and she said, I'm thankful for you. You know, when you can say to somebody, I'm thankful for you, you don't have anything held against them. Find something. The Word of God says this is the will of God concerning you, that in everything that you would give thanks. Find somebody and say, I'm thankful for this. You don't have to go into that and the other thing. That's the stuff you have to release. That's the stuff you have to let go. All you need to do is thank somebody for being who they are. Thank them for something that they've done before. And when your heart comes out, it will break the gates of bondage off of your life and off of their life when you can forgive them something in this Thanksgiving season. Are you with me? Find a way to thank them. Think through a way to thank them. Let's go to our text. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, the him being Jesus, saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Notice here that he did not approach him good teacher. Matter of fact, he didn't approach him rabbi. Matter of fact, he, he's all the, already given away a little bit. There's an aspect of Jesus' teaching that he doesn't think is good. You need to understand a lawyer in that time is not a lawyer like you and I are thinking about. It's not somebody that's, that's trying a case uh, to prove whether you're guilty or not guilty. It is somebody who has studied the law of God. It is somebody who has in-depthly studied the law of God. They can study the Torah and, they can, and the Pentateuch and they can, they can teach from it. Uh, they're, they're people that are very well versed in the scriptures of their day. And now Jesus has come on the scene and he's teaching. And this guy is saying, I don't like the way you interpret the law. I don't like what you're saying. There's something about it. And so he stood up to Jesus. Friends, when you stand up to somebody, uh, you're defending something. You're, you're, you're being offensive in some manner, in some way. Have you ever stood up to somebody and you stood up for what you believe? If you stood up against what they believe, you bowed up a little bit? He, he positioned himself as opposition to Jesus. He's opposing the truth of God. He's resisting the way. He, he's, he's denying the truth. He is, he, is, he is shuddering and pushing away life in general. He is making it darker than it is brighter. He is casting something against Jesus, not something for Jesus. He stood up to Jesus and he tested him saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now let's just stop there for a moment and realize where this gentleman is at. This lawyer is at, he's well studied, he's well versed, he's standing up to Jesus, but he's, he's, in, the, he's in the threshold, he's in the, the presence of, he's at the, the doorstep of the magnanimous God. No, no, you need to understand. Oh, you say, where do you find that in that passage? Eternal life? eternal life is you need to realize how generous God is. 
He's generous to give you the breath you just took. He's generous to give you the thought you just had. He's so generous with it. It might have been a good thought. It might have been a bad thought, but he still lets you think it. That's pretty generous. That's called a free will. And that means he's already forgiven you. You can't have a free will if you haven't been forgiven, which brings freedom. Even in our sin, he's given us liberally. He's given us freedom. He is a very generous God. And the life that you have, whether that's going to be 20 years, 40 years, 60 years, 80 years, or for somehow beyond that, it's still limited. But then he puts an extension on it and says you can have eternal life. That's pretty generous. Matter of fact, you can live where I'm living. Matter of fact, everything I have, you can have. Everything that I do have is your inheritance. Matter of fact, it's all yours. Anything I have is yours. That's pretty generous. I don't know that we, I think sometimes we look at God as if he's stingy. I think it's because we're looking too narrowly. I don't think we're looking in the, in the reality, the vastness of who God really is. Again, might I remind you, the breath you just took. The breath you're breathing, he gave it to you. And that's why he can say, let everything that has breath. And when your breath doesn't praise him, is there the possibility without knowing it, you're standing up. You're huffing and puffing in the face of eternity. There is nothing wrong with asking God a question. But everything was wrong. When you're questioning God, but you have to think, I'm sorry to put you in such an uncomfortable situation, but sometimes you have to stop and consider what God is saying. And there's nothing wrong. You can ask him any question that you want if you're wanting to learn. But when you're questioning the character of God, you're starting to doubt God. You're starting to think and position yourself and exalting your knowledge above the knowledge of God. That perhaps you know something he doesn't know. And perhaps you think he can't do what he said he could do. No, that's called faith, friends. We, we put our faith in him. We are not meant to doubt God. I'm not saying that you won't, but it's a perspective of how you approach God. This guy is opposing him. Verse 26, Jesus responded and said to him, what is written in the law? So Jesus is going to meet him right where he's at. And he has a tendency to meet you and I right where we are. There's a possibility that, that we might have overlooked something, missed something, or misinterpreted something. There's a possibility there's a hang-up in our religion or in our history or in our past knowledge of something. I don't know about you, but I've found in 32 years of Christianity that all of a sudden I come to a moment I realize, you know what? I didn't see that the way I needed to be seeing that. You know what? I didn't understand that. I don't sit there and fight against it and try to argue with God about it. If God is saying to me, from A to Z, there's a few more letters, I start to open up my mind and go, what is it that I have not seen? What is it that you... So listen, it's not what he's keeping from you. It's what he has for you. God is a generous God. He wants to bless you. He wants to increase your life. He didn't just come that you might have life but that you may have life and have it abundantly and that you increase, increase and abound in every aspect of that life. Amen. He said, what is written in the law? What is your reading of it? 
He's asking the guy, how did you interpret what God said? I'll let you think for yourself, he said. I'll let you respond for yourself. But he also want to let, wants to let him know what is written is written. He didn't say, what did somebody else say to you? He didn't say, did some teacher teach you something wrong? Did, did your parents not teach you? He didn't go all of that. He said, what is written in the law? Because what is written is written. It's infallible. It will not change. Amen. So he answered and he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all of your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Notice there's an interesting interpretation here. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. He didn't say, and your neighbor at all times. He's starting to, to realize and, and starting to allow us to see and reveal of what is really an issue inside of his life. To the best of his knowledge, he is loving God with all of his heart, with all of his soul, with all of his mind, with all of his strength. He's living a very disciplined life as a lawyer, as somebody who studies nothing but, reads nothing but, but the law and has an understanding of that. We see that God is magnanimous. We, we see that God is generous. We see that God is offering eternal life. Now we see a God responding, responding with a big heart. He said, it, it is interpreted, I should love God with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my mind, with all of my strength. He said, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you've answered rightly. Go and do this. He said, you've answered rightly, go and do this and you will live. Remember what he's offered him, eternal life. Remember, he's knocking at the door of it. I think way too little, we don't knock at the door enough and only wait for him to knock at our door. Seekers find more than waiters. Amen. There's a time and a place for both of them. But he's in this situation, he said, you've answered correctly. You've answered rightly, now just go and do it. Just go and do it. But he, in wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? You see, he's wanting to justify himself. What, what he's trying to do is, if I just do this, and if I just do this, just if I justify, just if I do this and just if I do that, shouldn't that be enough? He, he's, he's questioning back to Jesus now. He's trying to say, who is my neighbor? He said, shouldn't it be my choice who I call neighbor? Shouldn't that be determined up to me, who I call neighbor? Isn't it all right of who I choose? You know, Jesus also taught, if you do good to those and only to those who do good to you, what reward do you have? There's no reward in that. He said, that's not true love until you love your enemies. Bless those who persecute you, those who despitefully use you. He said, you've got to go further than this. Jesus was raising the standard, and this lawyer didn't like it. You know, I've had numerous of people through years of preaching, shockingly, have come and told me, you preach too high of a gospel. It's unlivable. It's unattainable. We're going to go somewhere else and justify ourselves, in essence. Friends, I want to remind you something. 
Anybody who says they can't was doing it without Jesus in the first place. Because Jesus said, I can. He told the word of God, told us, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen. And then Jesus answered and said to him, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. You know, quite often I hear people reference to this as the parable of the good Samaritan. Predominantly in a parable, Jesus would say that it was a parable. Predominantly in a parable, Jesus would say, it's like in heaven, is like unto this, the kingdom of God is like this. There is no reference of that in the story. There's a very good possibility this is an absolute true story. This literally really happened. And even if it didn't, Jesus is saying it could. Or maybe he's at least saying it should happen. Who knows where he might catch you and I in a situation. It says that the man fell among thieves. And that gives actually, when you study and break down, gives two possibilities. One is that he came into a community and unbeknownst to him, he got into a situation, a den of thieves, and they just overtook him. He had no knowledge. The other interpretation can come out to be is that he became one of them. Well, I don't do the drugs, but do you sell them? Uh, do, do, you, do you go, just the other day, I was, in, uh, I was in Springfield, Tennessee, late at night, coming back from preaching. It's 1 o'clock in the morning. I've been preaching in Nashville, getting back to where I was staying in Adams, Tennessee, and I stopped at the convenience store. I got out of my truck, went in to get a pack of crackers, and an elderly man met me on the outside, offering me money to buy him a six-pack of beer. He looked cold. He looked hungry. He certainly looked old enough to buy it. Definitely. I wouldn't have thought he'd need to be ID'd or card. But obviously, for some reason, he was not allowed to go in the store. I've had teenagers ask me to do that before. And I could have registered in my mind that, you know, the alcohol might warm him a little bit, might numb him a little bit. He's old enough. It wouldn't be illegal for him to have it. But I wasn't going to aid to his alcoholism. I looked and I said, listen, I said, I'm a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I too at one time had a problem with alcohol. I explained a little bit and he kind of softened a little bit. I said, let me go in there and get you something that could do you better. Came out and he was gone. It's not what he wanted. Not what he wanted. Was I wrong? Necessarily. No, not at all. Not at all. I can't abide to it and I can't uh, give into it. You can't support somebody else's habit. He fell among thieves. What did they do? They stripped him. They wounded him. They left him dead. Does that sound familiar? The enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. He doesn't even have to use demons sometimes. Just unregenerated. Uh, uh, people that just have wicked and evil hearts and minds who are living in the world, who are living in opposition, who have stood up against Jesus and think they know more than Jesus knows. How many times? How many times have we got more spiritual than God, right? And, and they end up stripping him, stealing his clothes. They end up giving him wounds. They're, they're damaging him. And they left him for half dead. In other words, all he had left was the rest of his life till he died. That's all he had. They took everything else from him. The enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. So this could be a spiritual condition. 
It could be a realistic situation in your life of how this plays out. Every facet of his life, spirit, soul, and body, was threatened. Verse 31. Now by chance, interesting statement. Now by chance, a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. I want you to notice the progressional here. I want you to know this, the order of things happen. Jesus is sharing a story about a priest and a Levite. Well, what's the difference between a priest and a Levite? Well, the reality is, is that all priests are Levites, but all Levites are not priests. He's highly chosen. He was set apart. Matter of fact, he would be a little bit more revered than the lawyer in what he stands for. He has chosen to do specific holy duties of God. So Jesus is now bringing in, he's bringing out the word of God, and he's bringing in the reality of holiness. If you've been around here long enough, you understand that holiness is not a, not a way that you dress, not a place that you worship. It's the person that you are. It's your devotion to God. Holiness is fully devoted to God and to the work of God. He's saying, listen, here's the holiest of your crowd. Here's the holiest of your day. Here is a chosen vessel. And how does he approach it? He sees it from a distance. As soon as he sees it, he goes to the other side of the road. And as if that's not my responsibility. That's somebody else's problem. That's somebody else's issue. That is not mine. I'm above that. I, I, my, my grade is higher than where this person has been beaten and wounded over here in the street. And from the distance he was, he couldn't even tell if it was one of his own or not. He just went around it and bypassed it. Matter of fact, the word chance, it says, by chance, Jesus being very selective of his words. I sent out a little message this morning that every word that we speak will have a harvest. And Jesus cautioned us to not have idle talk. It says, by chance. Have you ever wondered, like, why did I see that person today? Why right now? This is not the best time. This is inconvenient for me right now. Have you ever been there? Especially when you're driving down the road and you just got a bunch of cash out. You're like, why today? Chance means a situation favoring some purpose or therefore opportunity. So in other words, Jesus is saying when he says to this lawyer, and, and lawyers understand terminology better than you and I do because he used word you and I cannot understand. And it's how was it written? And now Jesus says to him, this guy came by chance. So in other words, Jesus is telling this lawyer, this man had a purpose and he had an opportunity and will let you determine which one you're going to do. If you're going to act upon it or steer away from it. He was chosen for holy purposes. The Levites predominantly were worship leaders. They would literally lead the singing. They would lead the music. They would, uh, for the people of God, they would generate an atmosphere there. So now we have a priest, and now we have a Levite, somebody who's accustomed to the presence of God, accustomed to worshiping God, accustomed to the fragrance of God. Likewise, the Levite, when he arrived at the place, he went a little deeper. 
Listen to me, friends. Uh, When you worship God, you'll go deeper with God. You'll go further than you ever expected before. And you may say, well, yeah, this feel like worship went a little long today. That's God stretching you to go further today. Amen? Amen? By chance, when he saw him, when the Levi arrived, he looked at him, but yet he still made a decision to pass by him. That's not my responsibility. I'm a worship leader. That's not my responsibility. I'm not an evangelist. He's presupposing what he is and what he isn't. Jesus saying both of these guys went around this. They bypassed the opportunity. Verse 33. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed. Now let's break down a Samaritan. A Samaritan is a native of Samaria. This one guy changed the definition of a Samaritan. Now there is a definition of a Samaritan. It is a person who is generous in helping those in distress. That's what a Samaritan is now. Matter of fact, in the study and finding out, there's about only 800 true Samaritans that still live in Israel. 800 Samaritans that still live. Matter of fact, they have such a high male populace that they're going to have to rely on people outside of the Samaritan culture to help them keep going. But that's kind of the nature of who they've always been. They were from the Levites. They were from Ephraim and Manasseh. They were, and nobody really knows exactly where they came from, but they weren't full breed. They weren't full breed uh, Jews, if you would. The reality is when you stop and think about Jesus to a degree, he's not full breed either. He's part God and part man. He's got a little bit of a blend going on there, amen? And he's standing there and saying, listen, you guys have missed it, and that's why I'm here. You can stand up to me all you want. You're not going to sit me down, nor shut me down, nor shut me up. I'm here to teach the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is telling us how he would have acted as priest and as Levite, not as how they acted. He's trying to convey to this guy how you and I need to be open-handed and become generous, not just towards heaven, but towards earth. Amen? Amen. Verse 34. Excuse me, I'll go back to 33. But a Samaritan, a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed. So the guy's on a little journey. He's, He's traveling, right? And, you know, if you're traveling, if you're anything like me, you have to carry some bags with you, right? I remember years ago, I was traveling. I was young and traveling. This is before they, they had wheels. It's before they had wheels on suitcases. How many of y'all have wheels on your suitcase? I do too. But I had a garment bag. and Garment bags were thicker and heavier. And there would be times back then I would fly and, and I would be the last person coming home. I'd be on that last flight out of Dallas or out of Atlanta. It'd already be 11 o'clock at night, and I'm coming home, Gretchen, and all the sweetness of her and the children are already in bed and sleeping. And one time I ran in there, and it's just myself and another guy on the airplane, only two of us. You don't find that anymore. But they had to get the jet back to the airport. So I I threw my suitcase up in in, in the first class, and my friend was sitting in the back. I knew the guy. knew him. He was on the same flight. I'd been upgraded. Just a, wait, a, a, a stewardess on there, him and me. She called him up. We all just sat up front just talked about Jesus the whole flight home. Talked about Jesus. I got out, grabbed that bag. I rolled out to my truck. Poof, I was gone. Next morning, Gretchen was in the bedroom, and I opened up my suitcase, and there was nothing but women's garments. <laughs> I didn't even try. I, I, what do you do? 
I picked up the stewardess suitcase and she picked up mine. But I don't think her husband was in the hotel room, but my wife was in my bedroom. <laughs> but we had to get those bags back to one another. Didn't look good. The very next week, very next week, I'm in Atlanta. I land on Concourse A, and I, I, my flight, they told me, is that B-20. There is five minutes to get to my flight. I ran. I put that garment bag on my shoulder, and I ran with everything that I had, and I got over there, and I walked up and walked right on, and the, the, the plane was full. There was one seat left, and it was my seat, 32 seat. I thought, man, I just made it. I'm huffing, puffing. I'm sweating. I mean, I, I'm hurting. <laughs> <laughs> He's getting ready. They closed the door. They said, Mr. DeVries, please come forward. I, <laughs> I got upgraded again. I'm walking to the front running. I'm, I'm just walking this thing out. <laughs> and they think, this guy's probably having a, you know, needed a fibrillator or something. I mean, they didn't know what was going on. And they said, sir, you're on the wrong plane. This is going to Montgomery. You're going to Huntsville. I said, I am. They said, well, that's at... A-20, not B-20. I flew in on A-19. But that's what, this is before they had the monitors, so don't think I was that bad. It's B-20. Bag on my shoulder. Hardly anybody on the plane sat down wherever I wanted, came home. I mean, after an hour flight, I'm still. I wake up next morning, Gretchen looked at me. <clears throat> Where'd you get that hickey? About five of them, she said about five of them right there. Some of y'all thinking, what's a hickey? That's a country boy kiss. That's when a hick. Now, anyway, that bag had been wearing on my neck on both of those runs, and I had three big spots that looked like those high school hickeys. Right after a trip, they had a suitcase with women's luggage in it. <laughs> I know a thing or two about traveling. Just a little bit. Get wheels on your suitcase. <laughs> Put a big identification tag on it and make sure you have your own. Or just take your wife with you. He's journeying. He, he's, he's passing through. We don't know whether he's from Jerusalem or if he's from Jericho. But he's traveling, he's moving, he's going through, he's on a, he's on a journey, he, he's on business. They didn't just pleasure travel back then. He's, he's actually going to market somewhere. He's getting ready to go trade something. He, he's being occupied. He's busy. And I know you and I, as soon as we walk out these doors, we have places to go. Well, we have people to see. We have things to do, right? Uh, you know, I wrote something out this morning. I said, listen, Peter and John... When they went to the temple to pray, they, they healed a lame man. What might be in your path today? <laughs> but you'll never know if you don't go to church. They were on their way to church. On their way to, but it was in their path. But they had higher things. They had priestly things to do. They had Levitical things to do. But God had them a chance. God was giving them an opportunity to see if they would do the purpose they were trained to do. To reach the one who couldn't do for himself. And he saw him and had compassion. So now we're finding out it's a deeper thing. 
If all you still have is passion and have no compassion, you're going around about the purpose wrong. Passion to do the holy things. Passion to worship. But if you don't have compassion, something is missing in your passion. And you're going around your purpose the wrong way. You're on the wrong side of the road. You're heading in the wrong direction. Listen to me. I'm going to say this prophetically. I haven't had a message like this in a long time. It's been hard to get out. Hard to communicate. But it's not about preaching style. It's about the power of the word. And listen to me. God wants to touch this church. He wants to touch who we are. He wants to grant us the ability to have compassion on the distressed, on the wounded, on the hurt, on the restricted, on the abandoned, on those that are dying. They're half dead and have nothing to live for or live with. So he went to him. And notice each guy saw him from a distance, moved, got closer, looked at it, moved. He went to him. How many times we said, I saw this and I saw that and I got closer and closer and I thought I have no mechanical experience whatsoever, so I, I better not pull over. How about just the sense of safety? You know, I may not be able to fix a vehicle that is broken down, but I don't know whether their cell phone's working or not. I don't know if they have anybody to call or not. I don't know how nervous they are, how emotionally distressed. They might be on their way to the hospital, driving themselves to the hospital. I don't know, but isn't it amazing? We just go by what we can't do and make the determination of what we're going to do and what we're not going to do. They're distressed. They're troubled. They're, they're in a hard and a difficult situation. We might be maybe not all the answer, but part of the answer. Listen, if you ain't got nothing, something's good. Amen? And if you can't heal them, come on. At least you can help them. So he's journeying along, and he sees this guy, and he goes to him, and he bandages up his wounds. I mean, he had to stop somewhere and get his little, little medical case out. Most likely, possibly, he might have been a, a, a working in the medical industry. You know, and he's looking in there and saying, what, what do I need to get? Oh, I need to get something else out. And he's looking around. He's, he has what this guy needs. I mean, how many of us carry bandages around? Maybe we should. He's digging through there, and he pulls out some gauze. Is there the possibility in his mind, he said, I could sell this for a nickel or a dime or a dollar? Maybe he's a medical salesman. He's on his journey to go sell in Jericho or beyond. He starts letting go of what's going to be his income? Is there the possibility that he has a blister from his tevas, from his little sandals rubbing on his feet? Brand new, raw leather on these sweet little feet. And if he doesn't have this, he's going to be hurting by the end of his trip. Is there the possibility he's got saddle wounds? Who knows? But right now, he realizes the one in front of him has need of it more than he does. Friends, that's when generosity starts to kick in. When you have something, but you know they need it more than you do, and you're willing to meet that need. Not only did he bandage up his wounds, he started pouring oil on it. He realized this guy needed something, something 
and he got his oil out. And he started to pour it on him. Well, oil represents Holy Spirit. He starts to release the Holy Spirit. And he reached down and found the marvel, mystery oil. Have you ever been caught in that situation? Somebody needs healing, you're like, does anybody have any oil? It's a little embarrassing, especially when you're a pastor. Why did I not have oil? I about brought a can of STP. Oil's oil. Especially if you ain't got nothing else. Are you with me? I think we need to pack ourselves more appropriately. But I think we need to be more extensive with what we already have. So he starts to do that, and then, then he gets the wine out. <laughs> I got some wine, I think. Some of y'all are going to leave churches because of this. It's cooking wine. But, but wine is the blood. He started to heal what he was losing. That's all he had left was the blood. He's naked, stripped. He's beaten and wounded. There's blood coming out. They took all of his belongings. He starts giving them back what he needs. There's power in the blood. There's healing and power in the spirit and the blood. He's giving them the gospel and all the goods of the gospel. He's putting it into his hands. He gets to this point, he's pouring on oil, he's pouring on wine, and then he set him on his own animal. You know, you're pretty dirty. Do you mind sitting in the back of the truck? You stink. You smell. And I have velour interior. Remember, I have, I have blisters on my shoe from my sandals here. Uh, can I just drag you with the donkey? With the animal? He prefers him. He prefers him. Remember, this is what Jesus is telling this lawyer. There's a little bit more behind here. There's a little bit more that goes into this. It's a little bit more extensive because you might have done this, but have you done this? And then he brought him to an inn and took care of him. He didn't leave him out. He brought him in. And even while he's in the inn, he's starting to take care of him. Maybe he's washing him. Maybe he's feeding him. Maybe he's covering up, making him comfortable in the bed and tucking him in. He's setting an atmosphere for this guy that he had not been in previously before they'd encountered one another. Left to die, he's nourishing him back to life. I remember some years ago, I came home from Birmingham, an outreach on the streets and saw this young girl and could see she was very distressed and went up and talked with her and ministered to her. And she ended up getting in a van with us and coming home. And so we pulled up into the driveway. We lived in Huntsville at that time. And Gretchen came to the door late at night because the door was locked. And uh, uh, I, I had this young girl and another person with her. And the girl moved in with us, moved in with us. I mean, she had a dog collar on. She had dragon tattoos all over her piercings here, there, and everywhere. And it wasn't very common back then. It wasn't very common. She moved into our house, literally moved in and lived there. 
And she was upstairs, and I think I flew out maybe the next day or so. I flew out to go out of town again to travel and preach somewhere. It's just what we did and who we were. And, and this girl was just in severe bondage. Gretchen brought her down and put her in our bed, gave her our room, ministered to her in that place. And Gretchen said, I just have this funny feeling that that dog collar around your neck represents bondage, bondage in your life. And if I could take, if you could take that off, you'll be set free. And lo and behold, when that collar came off, she was set free, delivered and set free. Didn't just bring her into the house, brought her into the bed. I got a funny feeling this guy took him in and really cared for him. Didn't just try to tell him everything wrong he was doing, started telling him the right things he could do. I'm sure this guy knew a little bit about traveling. Sounded like he might have been the better one to rob than the first guy. He had a lot of stuff. So he gets into that point. He takes care of him. On the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii and he gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, take care of him and whatever you spend, when I come again, I'll repay it to you. Friends, that would be pretty much the equivalent a denarii today would be 74 cents. I have six quarters here. It's, it's beyond a couple pennies. And he said, here. He had paid for a stay. He had paid for the, the, the board and the lodging. He is now paying for anything that is yet still to be paid. It's extended. He's, he's now, listen to me, he's forgiving. He's forgiving. There's nothing this guy. Listen, if you give it, they can't take it from you. If you give it, they can't steal it from you. You need to be open-handed with what God has provided for you. Are you with me? So he pays for the room, and he says, and he said, and by the way, he said, if there's anything else, if it costs anything else, he said, uh, any more to spend, he said, when I come again, I will repay you. Not only did he make himself financially secure for that situation, but he also put him in good hands. He didn't just abandon him. He made sure somebody was there to watch over him. All right, I'm wrapping up. Open-handed with what he had. He bandaged him, poured out on him, set him up, brought him in, cared for him, spent two days' wages on him, Offered extended care. Verse 36, as you stand to your feet. I would venture to say that every one of us with Christian faith know that we're supposed to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. I would venture to say, myself included, that there's been times I've justified what that meant. So Jesus said to him, as I would say to us, so which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? So which of these three, the priest, the Levite, or the Samaritan? Which one do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? Let me say this to us. 
neighbors are not as much who others are to you, but they're more so who you are to them. You see, when you and I think about neighbors, we think about the person who lives next to us, the person who lives behind us, the person who lives in the same neighborhood, perhaps the same city, perhaps the same state. Uh, we start to say, oh, they live in the same nation, so we're both Americans together. And so we determine who a neighbor is by who we look at. Jesus said, no, 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 it's not as much who others are to you, it's who you are to others. Gretchen's dad, if you know him, Pastor Dub, he's a good country soul. He had bought a piece of land up in Huntsville on the side of Hillside Drive. He said, this big old El Dorado Cadillac came pulling up the road. He said, a guy got out, looked like a Texas lawyer. Had his hat on, his leather jacket, his boots. Walking around, walked up, looking at the property next to Brother Dub's. Granddaddy waved down and said, howdy, neighbor. How you doing? He said, I've got one question. I said, what's that? I said, I'm thinking about buying this piece of property right here. I said, yeah. I said, I just have one question. He said, sure. I said, what kind of neighbors will I have? He said, it all depends on what kind of neighbor you'll be. Might have to chew on that one a little bit, folks. Jesus is trying to teach something here. I'm telling you, I believe there's going to be an awakening of compassion. People are going to love for people, care for people, extend themselves to people, embrace people. And he said, he who showed mercy on him, then Jesus said to him, well, then go do likewise. And Jesus didn't change the story. Didn't change the answer. He said, rightly said. You said it absolutely right. According to the law, you're absolutely right. Just go and do this. Yeah, but who's my neighbor? Jesus said, the answer is still the same. Now that you know what I'm trying to say to you, now that you've fully had revelation, not just interpretation, but revelation of the nature of God, now you can go do this. So what is Jesus saying to you and I? Could you imagine if every one of us today showed compassion on somebody today, someone else? You say, but I need compassion. Then sow it. What you sow, you grow. What you give returns. Amen? He said, go do likewise. Jesus is literally saying, being merciful is being generous. He said, the one who showed mercy, the one who showed mercy was the one. He said, you're right. Go be merciful. Do you remember the realization of how generous God is? His mercies are new every morning. It doesn't matter what you did yesterday. He still loves you today. And as long as you have breath, you have hope. Amen. He said, go be merciful, not judgmental not critical. Don't go try to teach them the law. Go and show them the way. Generosity is not an opportunity merely to get a return. Generosity is an opportunity to have your turn. To treat somebody else like you would have treated yourself 
to treat somebody else like he did treat you. It's your turn. It's my turn. It is our turn now to go be Jesus to this world we live in. To be Jesus to these people. Do not get caught in that. Well, there's help wanted signs down there. They shouldn't be out here. You don't know why they're there. You don't know why they're there. And don't for a moment think that if you at one time were a president of a bank, were one time a professional at something, and everything got taken out from underneath you, and not even by thine own will, but by outward side, outside circumstances that you think you just get up and go work at McDonald's. Friends, there's a lot of hurt involved. There's a lot of pain involved. There's a lot of misery involved. Don't judge them. Help them. So all I say to you this morning, as simple as I can, let's go do likewise. This is all stuff that I had in my house or at Gretchen's cover. Matter of fact, some of it is decoration. Let's go decorate this world with the love of Jesus. Let's go spend what we have on those that have not. I'm inviting you. I'm asking you to step into a brand new journey with me of being the most compassionate people on the face of the earth. It's compassion that saved you. It's compassion that saved me. Amen. If you want to join us, I'm going to pray a general prayer over us. If you're saying, I want to be more generous, I want to be more compassionate, whether you belong to the well or not, does not matter. I'm going to ask you to step forward, to come stand in the altar, and then I will release you. We'll pray over you. Do you want to be more compassionate? the possibility that we could be more generous, more contributory. Come on. Guys, kind of slide into the sides in the middle there, make some room. How many lives are getting ready to be touched today? I ask you, do you want to be more generous? chance today? I want one. I want a chance today. I want somebody in my path that needs what I have. You know what Peter and John said? Silver and gold have I not. Such as I do have in the name of Jesus Christ. But you know what they did? Said they reached over and took that guy by the hand and he stood up. generous with what they had inside of them. Father, I ask now today in the name of Jesus, the gracious one, Lord, I believe you sent your word to us this morning. I believe that you want to activate, initiate, to put upon us a greater compassion 
this world, to be more generous, to be more open-handed, to be more loving, and that you would give us a love that would not fail, to be more merciful, considerate, understanding, and compassionate. Father, I thank you that the thrills aren't in here this morning. I thank you that the hop and the jump isn't here in this altar right now. Because what you're giving us isn't for us this time. It's for them. And I ask that you would anoint us. I ask that you would gift us. I ask that you would use us. And I thank you that we too are chosen priests. We're a royal priesthood. We're worshipers. We're believers in the one true God. And we're followers of Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would use us to touch them. I'm praying for an awakening of compassion. An outpouring, not just on us, but through us. I want you to look at me for just a second. I don't know how to say this simple than this. And you can read it all you want in the Bible about a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And you can talk to all the charismatic churches that you want to. I'm here to tell you, it ain't what's going to happen in here. That's not the way it's going to happen, just an outpouring of heaven. It's not. You can dance for it, shout for all you want. It's in you. It's in us. The way he's going to touch all flesh is that he's going to speak through us and rivers of living water are going to come out of us. Oil is going to come out of us. Now listen to me. I don't know another soul that has ever even spoken about that. We have had prophecies over this house that the, a great revival is going to break out of this house. I don't think it's going to break out as much in the house as it's going to break out of the house. So I, I listen, I've been in revival. I've been there. I've been a part of it. I've seen them come and I've seen them go. But I just know what I know. This one has to get outside of the church. And I know you're scared, stiffless, of having to go preach to somebody, prophesy to somebody. But I'm here to tell you, all you got to do is reach in your back and get that Johnson & Johnson out of there. Pull it out. You know, there's one thing he probably gave that guy. There's another wound that was bandaged. It was his nakedness. He put that shirt on him. He said he'll do it again. He's already done it before. He'll do it again. It is our hour. It is our time to get outside of these walls, not just to have another great church service in here. How long can we lay on our faces? How high can we jump? How much can we shout? What shakalaka can we get going? I'm here to tell you, there's people out there that are in shock and they're locked up. And you better take your shakalaka out there and be the combination of heaven and set captives free. I'm telling you, God wants to release an evangelism of a harvest upon souls. Amen. So now may the Lord bless you and keep you. Cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May he mount upon you. May he saddle up inside of you. May he be useful to you and you useful to him. May the Lord our God bless you and anoint you. May he speak to you and reveal himself to you. May the Lord our God empower you with the same power that he was empowered with. May you be baptized with his Holy Spirit. May you be filled with his heart. May you be compassionate for the lost. May you weep over your city and the cities around you. May you care for those who 
are in your path and realize this is your chance, this is your opportunity, this is your day, and you have what it takes to help them out of whatever has been taken from them. Father, I ask that you would anoint us, that you would bless us and gift us with compassionate hearts, and I ask this in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen.